my doc has me because I'm able to provide something to that patient that maybe he's not available to provide or he's not able to provide, right? Welcome to the Nurse Surgery Podcast. I'm Mike Wang, and I'm here with my co-host, J.P. Colson. We are here to discuss all things neurosurgical. Hi, this is J.P. Colson, a resident in neurosurgery at Rush University. Please note that this is not a CME event, and the opinions and statements made in this podcast do not reflect those of any institution or professional organization. Now, let's get started. So today we have a bit of a change. We have two guests. We have Matthew Cummick, who's a resident at Rutgers, and we have Alice Edwards, who's a PA. And we're talking about a very important uh, geopolitical trend in American neurosurgery, which has to do with manpower. And traditionally, neurosurgery programs have relied very heavily on residents and fellows, and residents would work interminable hours and basically did all of the scut work and patient care and whatnot. And what we've seen is we've seen a, a complete shift. And there are a couple reasons for this, uh, but the shift has been towards employing a large number of PAs or nurse practitioners. You can call them uh, APPs or phys- physician extenders was what they used to be called. And they are starting to supplant a lot of the work that residents used to do. And some of the trends might be related to, for example, private practices becoming quite large and needing the help. Uh, Another trend, of course, is the resident work hours uh, restrictions, which has been, uh, has essentially led to major changes in how we train our residents. And we wanted to pose the question of, you know, which category of provider is actually more effective or efficient or useful when you're viewing this from the, from the lens of an attending physician, right? And John, you're, you're a, um, resident now, right? So yeah. you probably so have... no bias. No dog in this fight. <laughs> no dog in this fight. But I will admit that this argument is a bit of a straw man because obviously I'm in a program that has a lot of uh, physician extenders or APPs and also a lot of residents and fellows, right? So uh, why don't we have you guys introduce yourselves? Matthew, why don't you go first? Oh, sure. Uh, my name is Matthew Cummock. I'm a PGY-5 resident over in the uh, Rutgers program. And I'm Alice Edwards. I'm a PA and also Director of Practice Operations for the department. Uh, do you have a fancy title like that? I do not. I do not. <laughs> <laughs> and just for the record, you guys are, you're, you get along? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Okay, yeah. absolutely. Maybe too well, right? Okay. So, so, you know, this really is an important topic because I'll bet there are a lot of practices out there that are trying to figure out if they're going to, say, add more residents or start a residency program versus hire more nurse practitioners and PAs. And let me just have you guys individually make a pitch, just like a one-minute pitch of, of why you – like, let's say I'm going to hire someone. Right? I'm going to either hire a resident like Matthew – or a PA like... Wait, wait, wait. Who are you? I'm the attending. I'm the boss. And you get to choose which Of course. Yeah. Frequently, it's like this. Because residency programs have to decide whether they expand their complements or start a residency program versus hiring... I would think it would always be to expand. Well, you know, that, that is... If an, you can actually support it. That is an interesting trend, and, and that's a whole different topic we're talking about. But, Matthew, why don't you give us the plug why we should hire you? Well, you should definitely hire us uh, because of our dedication. We are the future. Um, we want to learn everything that you are doing, and uh, we won't go home until we really hit that duty hour restriction or 
really you tell us to go home, which obviously isn't often. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, we obviously are, again, we are the future, and, and um, uh, we want to be a part of this and, and everything moving forward. Um, Alice, I'm sure you could describe some other points to that as well. I mean, I, I would hire you too, though. That's the problem. I would hire you and one of me. But you know that this is a, this is a battle that's playing out right now in the anesthesia world. So, for example, in the state of Florida, there have been multiple proposals to have all CRNAs do a PhD, not the kind of PhD where you do three years of research, but they get a PhD, so they have to be called doctor, right? So now you're a PhD doctor, so patients recognize you as doctor such and such when you never went to MD or DO school, right? So this is, this is not reached us as surgeons yet, but it is something that I think if you look far enough out, you're going to see that um, it's not a battle between two sides, but it is certainly about two conflicting lineages that overlap, right? I think it's a decision about what you need to cover, how you need to cover it, and what the availability is, right? So what's the volume? Are you in a neuro-ICU setting? Are you in a surgical setting? Are you on a floor setting? Are you in a small hospital? Are you in a big hospital? And what's the volume? You know, I don't do carpal tunnel surgeries anymore. Why? Because this guy needs his peripheral nerves. So, so you already know how to do it, but he doesn't? Is that he does saying? it because I, if I scrub it, I take the case from him and he needs the caseload. So it's a much broader discussion as to what you're covering and what the volume is and what, you know, as you go on with the process, do you have new APPs or do you have seasoned APPs? And I think that's when you look at the literature, you'll see that some residents uh, feel that the APP is working as an intern or PGY2 level. While the APP believes that they're working at a higher level, which I can see both sides as to why that is, but per se, if the APP is only one to two years into it, then yes, they would be working as a intern or PGY2 level. So it's, it's, a, it's a very mixed picture. So I, I see and I appreciate <clears throat> definitely what you're saying there, and I, I agree with you on some of those aspects, but I do think... Obviously, at the end of the day, we need to get the work done, and there's a lot of work, and there's an increasing work. Um, we have EMRs, we have more scripts, paperwork, more admission summaries, discharge summaries, and, and everything else that needs to be filled out. To be able to get that done, obviously, we need more manpower, whether that's solved by a resident or a PA or an NP, but I do think the divergence or the, the change occurs when you start to get to the level of doing the procedures, learning the procedures, advancing the procedures, and pushing the research forward with whatever that may be um, at that next level. Um, that's where I do see kind of the divergence of where the benefit of having a resident is and having uh, versus having an APP or, or any other type of um, advanced care practitioner. I mean, so I can break down the arguments for you really easily because we've talked a lot about this. And just by way of uh, importance, the APPs are the fastest growing segment of neurosurgery today. That's, that's a very important statement because there, there are more APPs now than there are residents by far, and they're growing even faster. So we actually edited a book, uh, the first book for nurse practitioners in neurosurgery that was not, by, not written by um, a nurse, but, was, you know, but, but we recognize the need for education. And so as an attending, I can tell you that we like residents because 
when they finally max out at the chief resident level, they are more capable than an APP can ever be. There's just no way around it. The second thing is that they work tirelessly and there's no issue of call or weekends. They're always working. Um, and the third is that they eventually become our, our comp compatriots out there. So they're like either referring patients to us or they're our friends at meetings and whatnot. From the APP side, the advantages are these people can be loyal to you for 30, 40 years, where a resident is maxed at seven or eight or nine, right? So they could, if you train a good APP long enough, they'll, they'll be like your loyal you know, sidekick for their entire career, and they never really compete with you in that way, right? Uh, the other thing is that they kind of do things the way you want it, whereas, you know, it tends to be that the residents tend to, I don't know, they kind of, what do you say, go off on a tangent or sometimes yeah. do things, yeah, you know. Especially learning from multiple attendings yeah. and putting things together. So it's, 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 it's an interesting uh, point, but... You know, and I'll give an example. In Miami, we had a PA, and you may know this guy, Matthew, and he used to call himself Dr. Such-and-Such. And you'd see him on TV, and he would be covering some kind of trauma case or something like that, and he would be up there on the microphones saying, you know, I'm the person who took care of this person. And like I operated on this person for a neurosurgical case. And then the residents were so polarized. It was a male, by the way. And they either loved him, like he, he actually knew how to do surgery pretty well, right? Better than most residents. They either loved him because they taught him, or he taught them, I should say, or they hated him because they thought he was like an imposter. You know who I'm talking about, right? Yeah. So what's your opinion about that? Well, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, I guess you could get into things like liability or who's the actual person that is ultimately responsible for that person, that life. And, and I mean, obviously I'm biased, just like John Paul said. <laughs> it'll, <laughs> it'll be us. It'll be on our shoulders. And... and you know, I, with that in mind, I mean, um, I know that I have to get the training I need to, uh, to be able to achieve and do what I need to do to be successful in whatever procedure that may be. Um, and so I will elbow in to get that, uh, priority as far as, as making sure I can get the procedures or hit the numbers that I need to hit, uh, without having that training taken away from me. Mm -hmm. And that becomes a big concern, uh, depending who you're working with. Some people are better as far as saying, okay, let me show you how to do the first one. And then, um, I'll walk you through, watch you do the next one. And then basically you start teaching from there, but others, uh, can get, be a little more difficult to work with. Um, I think, you know, finding people that, uh, that understand that, um, is, is difficult just like with any, any other person. Well, Alice, so let me ask you a question about independence. Mm -hmm. For example, like now we're starting to see more and more, um, and is APP the right term to use? It's the correct term at this time at this that everyone <laughs> agrees on. Okay. It might so, be changing in the next one to two years, but yes, right now I think both sides agree that APP is a valid term. Okay, which like. stands for? Advanced Practice Provider. Okay. Or and, some people say Advanced Practice Practitioner. And that's basically nurse practitioners and PAs, basically, yes. right? Same yes. thing, right? Okay. So like... Ventriculostomy, there's a good example, right? You guys get to do those independently? Now, that is a tough question. Are you, what state are you in? What hospital mm -hmm. are you in? That determines what you're able to do. It's not what I've been trained to do specifically. Mm -hmm. And the person you were discussing before, he calls himself that. That's against the certification and the license. Right, right. Okay, um, we're using it as an extreme example, by the right. way. Right, yeah. but, you know, with each, it doesn't... It doesn't matter what my license and my certification says I can do if the hospital bylaws say that I can't do it. 
So it could be that in certain realms that the PA is able to put a ventriculostomy in, and in certain hospitals they'll say that that is outside the realm and that has to be done by a neurosurgeon or a neurosurgical resident. Um, you know, PAs are trained from a surgical perspective and we're trained to be in surgery where nurse practitioners are not. And if a nurse practitioner would first assist, they would need to be an RNFA to actually bill. So that also comes into terms, and there's been um, a lot of discussion in the past about how to bridge that and how to mold the NPs and the PAs in the world of ventriculostomies. But it's pretty much the only, I think, procedure besides maybe a lumbar puncture that everyone gets a little awry in their yeah. thoughts. We, we fought wars with general surgery over this. So yes. like there are, there are many... I mean, there are only a couple places where they'll even train general surgeons to do it, right? So you can make the argument that if you let APPs do this, you've elevated them at some level above even general surgeons, trauma surgeons, I mean. And I'm not, I don't have a dog in the fight. I mean, we have a ton of APPs in Miami and a ton of residents and fellows. But, but forget about now because now is now, right? So let's go into the future. So let's say in the future, would you ever foresee a situation or where in America that APPs are doing, say, simple surgical procedures on there, like a lumbar discectomy. Do you think that would ever happen? An APP terming that a PA or an NP, and an NP yes. who was not trained into surgery, doing now a Well, so let's, let's say they're trained. Let's say it's 30 but years from now. What is training? So, no. I, 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 I'm not one of those believers, you know. The first couple of years I was out of PA school, my husband kept on getting, we would get these postcards in the mail that said you could go back to med school. Right, because there's actually a PA to MD bridge program that I would only have to go a certain many years, very um, much limited compared to the if you were to start in the beginning. I chose my career because I wanted to do what I do. I didn't choose to do the career of Matthew. I chose my career because I saw a way of doing medicine differently than how he is going to do medicine. Now, remember, a lot of our listeners are not physicians, but they are APPs, and I'm sure some of them out there, and and I think legitimately believe, and and I'm not against or for this, by the way, that maybe someday with, let's say, the aid of robots or telemedicine, let's say on the battlefield, there would be a PA on the battlefield that would do the surgery with the assistance of a robot or maybe even supervision and maybe even a complex procedure, right, John? I mean, yeah. Don't you think? It, I mean, you could see that happening someday, right? Well, yeah, we could see a lot of things happening one day. If you're asking me right now if I think it's a good idea or if that's where I feel like it should be, now a lot of my counterparts would disagree. A lot of my counterparts say, but again, are we in rural America that does not have, you know, and, and what, what are the statistics now in future years we're not going to have enough physicians or surgeons to be where we need them to be? So at that point, how do we then cover that population? At that time, we will have to make decisions that affect how and who can do what. And I think that's a great point. I mean, it, the question is, I guess, you know, simply to be put is where's the line? Where's the line drawn now? Is that line going to move forward in the future to what an APP can do? I do think, at least from the resident standpoint, looking at my future, our future uh, within neurosurgery, but also within medicine in, in general, APPs are indispensable, will always be a part of our future working together as we tackle you know, treating more and more people and also dealing with more and more, you know, EHRs and everything else that comes along with it. But would I be willing to give up different procedures uh, to an APP? 
it's hard to say. And then the, the bottom line is, you know, who does it better? So, well, I'll push back a little bit on that, Matthew, like just for the sake of argument, right? So there was a time not too long ago when there were many people on this side of the aisle, if you will, who were saying, for example, DO surgeons, right, are a unique class of doctors. And outside of certain places in the Midwest, we don't really want them doing what we do. It's anathema to their training. And, you know, this argument, of course, that the licensure is similar to an MD. It's, it's identical, osteopathic, allopathic. But there is, on a policy level, people saying we're not the same, right? Obviously, that's dying down and it's going to be a relic of the past, right? Mm-hmm. But you could imagine that if you were to fast forward 20, 30 years, it would be that. And I, I'll bet there will be APPs that are technically more proficient than some MDs. That's obvious. That's that's already the case probably, right? Mm-hmm. So why would they be restricted in their practice? Like why would we say, well, you cannot do this even if they're capable of it, right? Mm-hmm. Shouldn't it be individualized? Possibly. I mean, in the end, I think a lot of it, just like most things, will come down to liability. And uh, I agree with you in many different ways. There are many APPs that are more technically proficient at different than, uh, than some residents at different levels. Um, but uh, you know, it's it's it'll be interesting to see a world um, where that line is moved in the future, and, and I it's hard for me to see or imagine it. Kind of uh, the reason I bring it up because I think Alice Alice hit the nail on the head. Like when I when I look at the residents interacting um, with RAPPs, and this is just you know sample n of one. This is University of Miami. You see all manner of. Unusual scenarios. For example, obviously you guys get along and you, you see a perfect uh, division of responsibility, uh, labor, and credit, and benefit. That's perfect, right? But then the next resident comes along. Maybe it's your co-resident, right? And they're just button heads constantly, you know, about, you know, no, as, you, as you said, right, Alice? You were saying, like, some people see you as, like, a PGY1 for life. Well, right? that's that, one of the publications. They've done a, a large um, questionnaire. And they had gone across the whole Department of Surgery, and they asked the residents to state what they. Now this is back, and it was like over ten years ago. And not neurosurgery. You're talking about general surgery. It's across all fields. Okay. So it was mm-hmm. to include neurosurgery as well, but all surgical fields. And they asked the resident to say where they would rate the APP, and they asked the APP to rate themselves. <laughs> I love it. Where's the study? I got to read this. But it was over 10 years ago. So then my thought process, well, are we, wouldn't it, I would love to see it now 10 years down the line, right? I feel like we have progressed beyond that. But there's so many parts to that as to why he would, you know, why Matthew would rate me as a PGY 1 or 2 or I've never, and in the same study that there were some APPs that rated themselves as a chief, like a chief resident and uh-huh. then even attending, which anyway, um, so but I think that we should do the study again 10 years down the line and see where it is. Because I really so, do feel like it should have changed. I feel like we have been progressive, like you've said, right? I think we're in a different place 10 years now. I started practicing 12 years ago, 12 or 13 years ago. And I think we're a different place now than when I started. Um, but so, it would be, be interesting to see. And that is an interesting study. It's a study that came out of Mount Sinai. Oh, you read it too? I did. Okay. <laughs> so as we were... Discussing different things, kind of getting ready for today. Um, that is a very interesting study, and from the part, uh, from the perspective of the residents, of all the residents that were interviewed, most of them were interns. Over half were interns. Hmm. So it's interesting to see. I mean, many of us will say the same thing. What does an intern know? That even an intern or an intern says, 
that they feel that the APPs they work with are at a junior resident type level or at their same level. I disagree. I mean, I've worked with many different APPs that I think uh, are tremendous, and then um, some of them, obviously, there's very, very, uh, there's a lot of differing, um, uh, different uh, capabilities as far as what they're able to do or teach and 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 who you, how you work together. But I do think absolutely this study should be uh, repeated, and it would be interesting to know more of the perspective of a senior resident or a um, or even a chief. Well, I think the curious thing, which you, you've touched on somewhat, is that the role of the APP varies so widely depending on not even the state, but the institution. So if you ask a resident at a given institution, you know, what PGY level would you call an APP here, that might depend not just on seniority being a proxy level for skill or intelligence and, and ability on the service, but maybe your chiefs are mostly administrative when they're not in the OR, and the APPs in that hospital don't do administrative things for the service. So when you said before, Alice, you went into your job to do your job, which is a different kind of care than Matthew, could you expand on that a little bit? And what, in, in your view, is the role or philosophy of the APP versus a resident? I feel like even in our own institution, if we have APPs on the team, we need to gain something. I don't want them interchangeable. I want to gain something from having the physician, you know, the physician extender. My doc has me because I'm able to provide something to that patient that maybe he's not available to provide or he's not able to provide, right? You've got to gain something by having a difference of opinion and a difference of education, right? So in the long run, if we're looking at the same patient, I have a different perspective of looking at that patient. And there's been studies that show the main thing that a resident will learn from an APP is a multidisciplinary approach or an approach to look at the social aspects of when they go home or how do we deal with um, symptomatic treatment. Hmm. While the doctor looks at it completely differently and they're looking at diagnosing and treating only. So I went into my job to be that person that maybe without me there, the physician wouldn't be able to give that to the patient. So I think a lot of APPs would feel the same way. When we're in clinic and that continuity of care that that patient sees me before, during, and after surgery is something that the resident normally cannot provide. And the reason why a lot of times patients come back to see the surgeon is because of the feeling that they are taken care of from A to Z. And again, that resident is a blip in the screen. Um, I, I usually tell the residents, and it's not that I, I love working with residents. I always have. I've always looked, worked in an academic facility. But I am the long term, and they are there short term. So I have to be the advocate for our patient, and I have to be the advocate for all, of, all things from that perspective from a treatment option. Right. So that's not just assisting the physician. That's augmenting the care. You've got to gain something. You know, saying that we're going to interchange APPs with residents, I don't feel like is a, um, a fair statement. We shouldn't interchange or otherwise we're not gaining anything. We should gain something by having differences of opinion and differences of education and experience. And I, I guess I have to disagree with being just a blip on, on a patient's care. You're more than a blip. <laughs> 
But if you only see them while they're in the hospital, You're, you are right in that regard because although that blip we, is very large and true. it can make or break the rest of their lives, it's true. We all um, become. It's a very important become, blip, but we it's, all become intimately involved uh, in in a person's life, and and um, obviously we we take that responsibility, um, you know, as a as a huge thing. Um, I do think that a lot of the studies. And, and even after that Mount Sinai study, as they focused on, they said, really, it's hard to define and just focusing on the different roles that APPs play at different institutions. And I know even within our institution, as we work at two level one trauma centers and also a community hospital, the APPs we have in each one of those places play very, very different roles, as do the residents, um, given how much call coverage we have at each one and depending what everybody's doing, how much, how many it people are operating at, at every single one. So obviously those roles um, change. Um, uh, you know, are we uh, people that could just be re be replaced or I don't, I don't think so from both sides, from both the resident and it, also the APP side. All right, well thank you both for a measured and civil conversation. <laughs> um, Alice, the long term, and Matthew from one blip to another. Yes. It's been great, thank so you. Sorry. Thank you guys. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. Mm -hmm.